And welcome to you all uh, to New Life Sunday service. So if you haven't been here before, or perhaps if you uh, haven't heard this before, New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. So what that means is that our only hope is in life and death, or in life and death, is the one whose blood speaks a better word Uh, for it is his death and his resurrection that saves us and gives us new life in him. So it's in Jesus and Jesus alone. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life. And if you're new to New Life, uh, welcome to the live stream. We'd love to connect with you, so please stick around, fill out the newcomers form, which will be available at the end of the service via the QR code. Um, I know that it's an unusual time and you might feel a little bit strange about visiting online rather than a physical Uh, building with people around you, but rest assured, this is a great way to connect in with the community here at New Life. It's actually a really great time as well because we do have a fellowship event coming up at the end of this week as well. So do make sure that you sign up uh, via the QR code at the end of the service. A special welcome to the families that are joining us for uh, New Life Sunday service. Uh, We know that this can be an especially challenging time uh, for families Uh, wrangling up kids and babies and uh, trying to do service together. Uh, We do appreciate what a difficult time uh, that might be. Um, We're also very appreciative of our amazing children's ministry uh, that is running each Sunday um, and really helping to foster a faith within these children and within your families as well. So a great big thank you and a big welcome uh, to the families and children's ministries. Now for our time of fellowship, um, as we've been doing over the past few weeks during lockdown, uh, let's share in the YouTube live chat. So uh, some of you guys have already said good morning in the live chat. Uh, For our time of fellowship this week, if you've been exercising, uh, please tell us what it is that you've been doing. Tell us your routine, how often you exercise, uh, what it is that you started doing. Or if you haven't been exercising, tell us what you've thought about doing. Okay, what you've imagined yourself to be doing. Uh, I might put myself in that category as well. So let's share in that live chat during our time of fellowship. If we were a bit further along in the future or if we had a great big budget, I'm just imagining if we could have all of your faces kind of virtually here on the chairs with like little pop-ups saying what it is that you're saying. I'm so curious uh, to know, but I'll find out later in the week. Um, I've been thinking about exercising as well and uh, I, I guess I just really need to make it happen. My wife is saying amen somewhere in Epping at this point. Uh, We're gonna turn over to our scripture reading this morning. Um, It's a bit of a longer one, 
And so please do stick with us through the scripture reading and uh, pay attention to uh, the reading of the word of God. And I'll hand it over to Owen now.
Thank you, Owen, uh, for the reading of the word of God this morning. It's a bit of a longer reading this morning, and so thank you very much for that reading. Um, hopefully you guys were able to stick with it as well. Um, I know it is a bit of a longer one, but when you're reading Hebrews 11, it's hard to know when to stop. It, it kind of seems to build momentum, and you feel bad to the rest of the uh, witnesses there if you stop before their verse. You know, this time of lockdown has given us uh, the opportunity to slow down a little bit, to reassess, and to see how we respond to God. So we've been looking in previous weeks at our creation as the image of God. We've looked also at how Jesus intercedes eternally on our behalf. And last week, we looked at how we can bring others before God in prayer, how we ourselves can intercede on their behalf just as Jesus does for us, uh, it's the response that we ought to see in us as image bearers of Christ who intercedes for us. Now this week, um, as lockdown extends further, I've been feeling a little bit like, you know, for myself and for the people around me, energy's been flagging a little bit. You know, we're fatigued. Is that fair to say? We're feeling a little bit fatigued. So how can we endure through this time? How can we endure in faith. You know, we're given plenty of examples through our passage today of those that endured in faith. So as we get ready to look at this together, uh, let's pray. Let me pray for us. Father, we turn to you this morning, um, having read about the many witnesses of faith uh, that you've placed before us, that have gone before us, and that have endured in faith. When we look at their example, uh, perhaps we can see that it's not impossible to endure in faith. Indeed, when we look to the example of your son Jesus, who endured to faith on the cross, we know that we can go further, for he has made it possible for us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of faith that you give us. And we ask, Lord, that it will be this faith that upholds us this morning, that we would not look to our own good works, that we would not look to our own own endurance or our own lack of energy, but that we would look to you. Would you strengthen us this morning, God, and help us, Lord, to grow in faith and perseverance. Help us, Lord, to be prayerful. Help us, Lord, to be loving, and help us, Lord, to seek you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, on Friday, around 30 of us met together online for our fortnightly Friday night prayer. And as we prayed about what's been happening in Afghanistan, um, as we've been praying about the earthquake that was happening in Haiti, we talked about how our own faith has been affected by this news that's coming in constantly, this news that's happening around the world. And we broke out into you know, our breakout rooms as well, and a, a common thread that I found that seems to have come to the surface is this feeling of helplessness, a feeling as though there's so little that we can do. And perhaps even if you haven't kept up with world news, even the local news of lockdown, of the pandemic, of people that might be breaking the rules around you, uh, perhaps those things have made you feel this way as well, of feeling helpless. You know, we're shaken by things in our lives, uh, whether near or far. When we feel helpless, when we feel like there's little that we can actually do 
to make any sort of discernible change in this world. This is the situation that we find ourselves in as we hear the news and think there's not very much that we can do to affect change. But even in our personal lives, this is the story of the pandemic, isn't it? We might set goals, we might have vague thoughts or even specific ideas about where we want to end up in our careers, in our studies, in our relationships, and indeed in our lives. And yet, we feel stuck. And this might be a lot more pronounced with this lockdown, with this pandemic. So the question remains, how do we endure in faith? How do we keep going when it's hard? We stumble over these things due to doubt. Doubt that what we really do matters or affects change. Doubt that we're headed anywhere, so what's the point? We even doubt that there's a plan for us. And doubt happens in our hearts when we're moved by circumstances or thoughts rather than being moved by God. This means that deep down, when our faith gets unmasked, we find that they were actually pointing towards, well, not God, but rather ourselves. We don't think about God's sovereignty or his ability. We think about our own. And so we feel helpless, languishing in our inability. Now, New Life, I want to tell you today that yes, doubt can kill. Doubt is a horrible thing, but it can also be a useful diagnostic tool for us to use to see where our hearts have actually gone astray. So, I have notifications set up on my phone so that whenever a charge goes through on my credit card, whenever a payment goes through, I get a little pop-up. It tells me, gives me a little notification when money goes out. Like, do you ever sign up for a trial to something like, let's say, Netflix or Amazon or even the dreaded eBay Plus, which has uh, slipped my mind and now I have to pay? Uh, and then you forget to cancel it and it just eats away little by little at your bank account until you actually do something about it. Do you ever do this? You sign up for a trial and then you find that payments are going out. But a little notification popping up and telling you that something is charging you can be just the reminder that you need to go in and cancel it before the next loss comes. Doubt can be a little bit like this, as it points to where we might have mistakenly believed that we or something else has control and not God. And we operate quite often under this illusion. We think that we hold the power to shape our future, so we grow anxious about what's taking that control from us. We react in anger quite often, or in disproportionate sadness or even giddiness when we perceive that we've lost or gained some sort of power or some sort of control. And then we lash out, looking to assign blame somewhere when something doesn't go our way. And this will enslave us, my brothers and sisters, until we place God's sovereignty over and above 
our own sense of control and our thoughts about the future. So the power that doubt has over our hearts can only be broken by the power of God's promises to us as we place face, faith, I should say, in them rather than in our own ability as we believe his word to us. Now many of us start this life of faith with great enthusiasm. You know, maybe you find that in your character as well, in your past as well, only to stumble when we face some sort of difficulty, when we face hardships, we find that our faith stumbles. The high hopes, the good intentions that we had seem to fade away. And so we need approaches to living. We need a design for life that keeps us going and growing in spiritual relationship with our God. You can ask married couples, you know, you can ask married couples, can you keep this relationship going on enthusiasm alone? And they'll tell you no. Somewhere along the way, that enthusiasm will wear off. So when we talk about a life of faith, it's telling that we talk about enthusiasm. Have you thought about this? When we talk about faith, we talk about how excited we are, or how dry we are, or whatever it might be. Like, the excitement that we have isn't wrong, okay? But it's not enough. Faith, by its very definition, needs something more substantial than just enthusiasm. It requires trust. And this trust is found in believing God's word to us. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. We shall bring our Lord most glory if we get from him much grace. If I have much faith so that I can take God at his word, I shall greatly honor my Lord and King. So what we need is a faith characterized by steadfastness. And we need a faith that's forward-looking as well. You know, that passage that Owen read to us this morning, it's not an exhaustive definition of what faith is. I know that it was quite a long passage, and yet, it does show us some of the key aspects of this faith, of the faith of the witnesses that we find throughout the Old Testament. We see their faith in action. We don't see it as just a conceptual thing. It's not just a cerebral definition of the word, but we see how they actually lived out their faith. You can see that it's marked on our page here by these words, by faith throughout this passage. Verses one to two in Hebrews 11 read this. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. And each time we see faith in our passage, we can see how the witnesses demonstrate a forward-looking and an enduring faith. And if we see their faith, we can see that faith, it's not just something that's just airy-fairy that you can't really see, but rather, it's something objective. It's something solid that right now, in the present, gives reality and substance to the things that we hope for those things that seem very invisible to us now, 
are actually substantial and real, the things that will come in God's appointed time. So faith, therefore, it grabs hold of what is promised, what we hope for, and it hangs on for dear life. Those things that we're hoping for, it just hangs on, and this is what faith looks like. And it can only grab hold because, although it's unseen what it is that we hope for, it is something real, it is something substantial. Yet, at the same time, faith is the proof of what is unseen. Our faith shows that there exists something that can't just be noticed or perceived with our eyes, with our physical eyes. We can look with our eyes at the things that happen, things that have happened, the news that comes to us from around the world, the local news of lockdown amidst a pandemic, for example, and yet we can look with faith at an unseen future because we know that this isn't forever. The reality of which hasn't unfolded before us and yet is set out before our sovereign, loving, and sinless God. Throughout this passage, what is hoped for unfolds as these things, okay? So look out for these things. It's a hope in a future salvation. It's the divine promises that God has made for us. It's the inheritance that we have yet to fully realize and attain. It's the new creation to come. Remember the new Jerusalem that we talked about in that sermon, Tired of Moving? It's the Sabbath rest. We talked about this as well throughout our Easter series. And finally, it's an unshakable kingdom that won't be affected by news from afar or by doubts from nearby. Now, having set that definition, I know that that was a little bit conceptual. If you had trouble following that, please do review it at a later time uh, when the video goes up again. Talk with others about it as they'll be able to try to solidify um, this definition for you. It's important that you understand what faith is and how faith comes about in this passage. But from here, from verse two onwards, we have examples that are perhaps a little bit easier to follow. For by this faith, our ancestors were approved. So these witnesses of faith that we're about to encounter are approved. What does that mean? As in, they're testified in the Bible. The Bible actually testifies about these witnesses this Bible that we read in front of us, the very word of God testifies to their great faith, giving approval and speaking well of their character of faith. They speak to us from beyond their graves as God has given voice to their faith to speak through the generations and to give us an enduring faith by their example as well. And in fact, the author of Hebrews goes on to point out that this character of faith already exists in you today as well. Read with me, verse three. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now we talked about creation just a few weeks ago and in our recognition that God formed the world 
with a word. We have a common faith. The word of God, invisible, created the world that we know, visible. And this is faith. Don't you just love how the writer of Hebrews, before he gets into all of these incredible faithful people throughout chapter 11, says, by faith you know this. We understand this. We are included here. It's from this place that we can read on, in faith, looking to the faith of these great witnesses from the past. So we read about Abel, approved as righteous because of God, and then we read about Enoch. Look with me at verses five to six. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So both Abel and Enoch lived by faith, and God approved of them, testifying to us that they were righteous and that they were pleasing to him. And from their faith, we can see how without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then the second part of that verse, verse six, expects that we as believers in God will draw near to him. A new life, is your life characterized in the same way, by this type of relationship with God? This is something that we talk about all the time. Do you approach him directly in prayer? Or do you wait for someone else who you know has a relationship with him to approach him on your behalf? Is there a regular expression of your ongoing relationship with him as you listen to his word, as you shape your life around his promises and his rewards? Or is it something else? So we've talked each week about an ongoing relationship with God in the context of Jesus Christ's salvific work for us. We've talked of Jesus' high priestly intercession on our behalf. And so it's necessary for anyone who draws near to God to believe. So it is impossible to please God without faith. And we read on about the next witness. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what, is, what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, if you know the biblical story of Noah, what is it that motivated him to do what he did. What was it? It wasn't out of terror about the flood that was coming. It wasn't just general mental unwellness and anxiety, but it was out of godly fear because he lived by faith. Though there was nothing seen yet that would cause him to do this, he built an ark. Despite the shame, the embarrassment, the scorn, that those around him would have placed on him, 
who would wonder what special sort of insanity had touched no one now. Why is he doing this? And yet, he put his trust fully in God's gracious promise to save him and also his household from the flood that was to come. You've been called to persevere in faith. There are things that are yet unseen that have been promised to you by God of deliverance, of salvation, of fullness of life, of having a cross-shaped life that the world will scorn. They'll be asking you things like, why don't you just spend more on yourself? Why don't you indulge in the things that we find enjoyable? Why don't you join us and live the way that we do? And yet, we are ones that have received salvation from death and judgment through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we extend this invitation to others to join the household of God despite whatever shame, whatever scorn might come our way. <clears throat> In the midst of this, just as with Noah and the dry ground, that was evidence that there was no flood coming, there's this incredible assault happening in the present on your senses as well. Maybe you can see this. All your attention will constantly be drawn from the promises afar, the future hope to the present urgency instead, the things that call for your attention and the shipwreck um, of your hope and your faith that you have. Excuse me. So following after these things will plant seeds of doubt in your faith in God and your eyes will no longer be on the promises, will no longer endure in looking forward, but will instead stumble by looking inward. You know, a number of years ago when I was in Korea, I was in a meeting with the other pastors at church and our head pastor at that time had a young daughter who was just a toddler running around, and then she tripped and fell over. You know, I don't know if you've been around kids that trip and fall over, and you know, if you yourself don't have kids, you feel a little bit like, you know, antsy. You feel a little bit frightened, like, oh man, are they gonna cry? And she looks up at her dad, and her dad, keeping his eyes on her, just said to us, don't fuss, just follow my lead, just laugh. And then he did this exaggerated laugh, like, ha, ah, and then he said, oh, that's so funny, you fell over, you're so silly. And his daughter, looking at him, laughed too, and repeated, I'm silly. And then she got up, went about her play again, distracted from whatever momentary pain there was, following along instead with the reaction of the world around her, and most of all, listening to the voice of her father. I don't know how much we've grown from these toddler days, if I'm being honest with you, because we react to whatever happens by looking at how others react and mimicking them. But what's of utmost importance is that we look upon our Father's face and we listen to what He has to say. 
Going on, verses eight to 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So we read that Abraham had no idea where he was going. What he did know was that God was sending him. And in fact, he never got to that point here on earth where he obtained a permanent home for himself and his family. But the father telling him to go was enough for him. So despite evidence to the contrary, he endured in faith, venturing forth into the unknown by placing his confidence and trust in God's word to him. How? How, you might ask. When we live in this unsettled life where COVID, where lockdown, where the tragedies and injustices around the world rock our faith, can we place ourselves alongside Abraham in enduring faith? Abraham did this by looking forward, it tells us in verse 10, to the city with foundations designed and built by God himself. There was no earthly dwelling place that would be good enough to call home permanently, but instead, it was still to come in the future. And so Abraham waited expectantly, looking forward actively. He wasn't just passively waiting, but he continued to train his eyes forward to the promise that God had for him, just as we must now look forward. Now we talked about this last year, just before I officially came on board as a pastor here. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. Do you remember this? We talked about this in in Philippians. We're citizens of heaven. Have we lost sight of this already? I know it's been a long year. I know it's been a difficult year, but has this made you lose sight of the truth that you're a citizen of a greater kingdom. It's natural for us to have a longing in our hearts, an ache to go home again. We see around the world a lot of diaspora returning to their motherland because of this. Many of us experience this now as we long for our home here in Sydney to be a place of safety, where we long for permanence, where we long for a place of safety that we can raise our families and that we can dwell together with our friends. But our hopes and our longing, our aching longing point towards the greater reality of a better future home, one that God himself has designed and built. Remember this new life. We are wanderers, we're foreigners and temporary residents here on earth. Verses 13 to 16 read this. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return 
but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Our hope is not to be fully realized here on earth. The homeland that we're headed towards is not a place here. We can catch glimpses of it, of the church, as we model out our future home. We've talked about this recently as well. And as we do this, as we trust in God's promise for us, for this future home with him, we walk along the same paths of faith as the witnesses that are approved of in our passage today. Now, living in this way is not easy. I want to acknowledge this. I don't want to make it sound as though it's really easy. There are things implied by what we read in the stories of Noah or of Abraham or Sarah, and it's made explicit in Moses. Jump down with me to verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. It would have been easier for Moses to choose to continue to live in this privileged position in the high court of Pharaoh. But he chose to give it all up, choosing instead to suffer alongside the people of God. When we choose to identify with the people of God, to shape our lives around Christ and his word, we give up the life that the world places before us. A life of the fleeting pleasures of sin and the treasures of this world. But when we identify with the people of God, we identify ultimately with Christ and his humiliation. And therefore, we also identify with his reward. But still, it's not easy. It can be taxing to choose community, to identify with the people of God, especially when they let you down, particularly now in the midst of lockdown fatigue. I want to stress, please do take the time for self-care in the midst of all this. But also, allow others into your life. Allow others back into your life so that you can care for them and also they can care for you by placing you before God and believing on your behalf when you're paralyzed to do so yourself. Allow others from this family of faith that you are in to hold you accountable, that you might turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin. Allow yourself to confess and repent before the people of God and to ask for prayer. And in this way, endure together in faith. I'll give you a brief overview of the remainder of chapter 11. The rest of Hebrews 11 details other witnesses for us in three major sections. So verses 32 to 35 tells us a very triumphant heroes of faith. And then from the second part of 35 to 38, it tells us about suffering heroes that perhaps never saw the victory of their faith. And then verses 39 to 40 concludes by binding all of these faithful witnesses together. Read with me verses 39 to 40. 
All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. Now, just as this chapter, chapter 11 began, it ends by telling us of those that God approves of by testifying about them in the Bible. But the final verse, once again, includes us, stating that they would not be made perfect without us. We are to be listed among these great witnesses of faith. Like, how beautiful is this that we are listed among these great heroes of faith. They cannot be complete, they cannot be made perfect without us who look on, who look to them and cheer them on. And in turn, we're cheered on by them and we endure in our common faith. And until Christ came to this earth, none of these witnesses received this ultimate promise. But with Jesus' death and his resurrection, the new covenant has come, and we too take part as our faith is perfected by the very one who has authored our faith in the first place. As we look upon the many witnesses of faith in our passage today, I urge you, get to know their stories well. Look back to the Old Testament that talks about their faith in great detail and get to know their story as well. For we're urged now by the writer of Hebrews to run with endurance this race that lies before us. Verses one to two in chapter 12. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All of these witnesses testify to Jesus Christ. And so our eyes turn from these witnesses to him who endured the cross who despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So endure. New life, let us together endure and struggle like those who came before us. You know, I asked at the top of the service um, about which of you have begun exercising for exactly one hour a day I've seen some of you guys in photos and, and videos that you share, and none of you are wearing cumbersome clothing. You're not worried about how you'll look, but instead you've laid aside whatever clothing might impede you as you exercise. No one is going bike riding in you know, cut off jeans and, and torn clothing. So too, as you prepare for this race of faith, Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares you. I found for myself, and I've shared this before, that I get overly stressed and consumed by the daily updates these days by thinking too much about how I've planned for life to be. And so these are the things that ensnare me and these are the things that I have to lay aside 
as I run this race alongside you. All of us new life have things to lay aside and all of us must now throw aside the sin that so easily ensnares us as well. As we run together, let's endure by reminding one another to keep our eyes on the finish line, the goal of Jesus Christ. And he too, as he sits at the right hand of God, not only cheers us on alongside all of these faithful witnesses that we just read about, but he guarantees our place at the end. As we endure and suffer together, we'll receive the reward that is for Jesus. And we find ourselves eternally secure in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, when we think about our stumbling faith and when we think about the many things here on this earth that distract us, that obstruct us from running, that ensnare and entangle our feet, it's easy to grow hopeless. It's easy to languish in our helplessness. And yet, in your word to us, you've told us about faithful witnesses that you've sent before us who were upheld by the faithful promises that you made to them. And when we read about what they receive in the kingdom to come, we ask, Lord, that you would place hope in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to lift up our eyes from ourselves, from the situations that go on around us, and help us, Lord, to look with clarity, with spiritual eyes, at the hope that you have in our future. You, O oh Lord, have something amazing in plan for us. You, the architect, the designer, and the builder of the city to come, whose foundations are unshakable, where no bad news penetrates, but instead there is always good news. We look with hope, knowing that the tears that we shed here on earth now will be no more in the kingdom to come. And we ask, Lord, that you place this hope once again in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to throw aside every weight, everything that ensnares us, that we might run together and endure in faith. May we encourage the brothers and sisters around us to run together this race of faith. And may we seek you together in love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.